Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and Hawaii Sports Radio uh, Network AM 760. No Arash Markazi today, just Brandon Deutsch here, Armani Buckets and Tim Lee. We got, we got the big three. Talking basketball today. How are you guys doing? Emily, how are you doing? It's been a minute. They just turned it right to me. Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, I've been letting you guys take the shot, you know. Uh, so you guys are doing great. I'm just here to, to fill in as admirably as I can for our for, for our rush. And how's the DFS going? Uh, good. Patrick Wisdom, double bomb yesterday. Absolutely. I don't want to talk about disclosed numbers, but uh, let's just say it was a good night. Yeah, Patrick Wisdom's been balling. Um, yeah. By the way, Tim, I, I we're gonna since you're here, we're gonna talk some Angels today too because it's been a tough road. I know they won finally; they barely hung on for a win against Boston, but they were seven and five, and then they lost three straight to for what I describe as not a great Boston team. Although they've never played well in Fenway, and we'll get into that. They have the Yankees today, starting today, and that's gonna be a tough series. But yeah, 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 we'll definitely talk about them for sure. Yeah. Buckets, what are your thoughts on Scott Foster officiating tonight's game? Yeah, so <laughs> I know that that's going to get a lot of the headlines. I'm of the belief that we're not going to see another Tory Craig masterclass. <laughs> and the, the Suns are eight-point favorites right now. The last time I checked, I was going to pick the Clippers regardless to win this game. Um Clippers in six is still my thought process. And now I guess this just solidifies it. I, I don't know. I think that when there's so much attention uh, on a specific official, it's really hard for them to sway a game in the magnitude that kind of the, the mainstream media makes it seem like. I think that the game is going to be officiated, you know, under a microscope, which is never easy for an official. But I don't know. I think the Clippers are just the deeper, better team. And I, I don't think that Scott Foster or Zach Zarba or whoever's officiating the game is going to change that. And I bold prediction, I think Russell Westbrook is going to have, let's say, 22, 10, and 9 on semi-efficient shooting, like 7 of 15, 7 of 16. That's a good take. That's a good take. Um, I'll respond by saying this. Remember, the last time Scott Foster officiated uh, a Suns Clippers series, it was the the lob to Aiton but, um, that won the game, that won the Suns the game. But Chris Paul didn't play in that game. So <laughs> that's something to note. I just can't believe the Clippers are eight-point underdogs. I mean, they just they dominated most of that last game. <laughs> I know some people are going to say, oh, well, the Suns are still getting acclimated. Like, nah, they were 8-0 with Kevin Durant. I know they were playing B teams, but they were already acclimated. The Clippers just played better. And when if the Clippers can keep the game close every game, 
they're probably going to win because they have Kawhi Leonard, who's the best player, like you mentioned, Armand, in the in the playoffs of the Western Conference right now. I think LeBron is aging a little bit. He's not the same player he was five years ago, though he's still very good. No disrespect to LeBron. I think Kawhi's the best player in the Western Conference right now. So if you keep that game close, Kawhi's going to win you the game almost every single time. So I, I do like the Clippers' money line again tonight. Um, I, and that, wouldn't that be great if they were 2-0? and going back to LA, although we've seen the Clippers, what they do with leads at home in the past, you know, they do blow games. They tend to, but uh, that would be great for the Clippers. So I'm hoping they're able to do that. Tim, any thoughts there on tonight's game? It's a little ironic that as, as like almost the season long Clipper fan that has been on the show, I'm probably the most skeptical uh, of the three of us as far as like how they're going to do today. I was already excited that they stole a game on the road. Like, in my opinion, they played uh, as efficient or as highly talented as that team could be, like, the level-wise. I understood, like, Westbrook shot terribly, but, like, he needed to shoot all those shots, in my opinion, to, like, tire out either Booker or Chris Paul. Because on offense, I think you could see it. Booker was gassed on the, in the fourth quarter. Like, the last six or seven minutes, my man was on, on concrete legs. And KD... After being the facilitator for over like 90% of that game, he couldn't really hunt for a shot because Kawhi, who's arguably like the best two-way defender we have now, uh, just played lights out. And, um, I would even go one step further. I think he's the best player in the playoffs right now. I mean, if you saw from that, from that perspective in that game, he was untouchable. Like the best mid-range jumper I think I've ever seen since Jordan. I mean, like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's hyperbolic. He just looked incredible. He, he hunt for mismatches. And then I think there was a stat online that said that he had a 39%. Most of his shots were legitimately unshootable. Like they were just not good looks. He had like no space to shoot and he still drained them. Like the guy is just like unbelievable. So we're seeing peak Kawhi. We're seeing like not even Toronto Kawhi. We're talking about like peak Spurs Kawhi. We're, we're just seeing like the epitome of what the Clippers wanted to get in the first place. But I understand why it's an eight point spread, right? It's still KD. It's still Booker, and they need like this insane 120, 150% from Russell Westbrook, who I couldn't even understand how he had so much energy at the end of the game, which leads me to believe that he still probably has that much energy for the next games, right? So, like, he's just like the Energizer Bunny, but I'm hoping for the best, obviously, but like, already taking a game from Phoenix in Phoenix, uh, I think it's already a W. Okay. Well, also, I wanted to ask you guys this, because this is something that's been noted by a, a ton of analysts on Twitter and on podcasts. And I was just thinking about it. And I, it might be crazy to say, but I agree. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, playoff Kawhi Leonard from 2019 to 2023 is probably the closest thing uh, offensively, not athletically, but offensively and defensively. We've seen to prime Michael Jordan in recent years. Am right, I wrong? right, right. No, I, I would fully agree with that. I mean, like, it's it's crazy. Like, if you look at the tape of Michael Jordan play, obviously the dunking, I mean, Kawhi is not as athletic right now. Like, we know that. But the shot making, the shots he's taking, it's really uncanny. Like, it's crazy. And I think it's it's really, really special to watch someone so great at what they do. Like, Kawhi is just surgical when it comes to this time of year. So I'm really hoping the Clippers can make a run. I think it's good for his legacy. I think it'd be good for the Clippers' legacy. I know they're moving into the into a dome in a couple of years, but they really need some hardware, I think, before they go to into a dome. And maybe that's making the finals or getting a ring, but they need something. And I think this is this is as wide open as a year as it's gonna get. Right, guys? So but I wanted to ask you guys about the Kings, because the Kings, they played yesterday. 
Um, Armand, we'll start with you. Things are up 2-0. First time ever Steph Curry's been down 0-2 in a series, um, you know, while he's been prime Steph Curry. Golden State sucks on the road. We know that, 11-30, and and they're great at home. What do you expect to see when the series goes back to Golden uh, I guess San Francisco, not Golden State, but San Francisco <laughs> at the Chase Center. Uh, do you expect the Warriors to at least take one, and if not, tie the series back up? I expect the Warriors to bounce back um, and actually punch Sacramento in the mouth in Game 3, maybe even in Game 4. I expect this to be 2-2, and I think the home teams are going to hold serve throughout. And But the, the Kings, the way that they, they played yesterday was – counter uh to the narrative about this team that they can't defend and that they can't do all those things mm. the way that i've seen the kings all season with the 27th ranked defense the first ranked offense they want to get up and down that is their preferred method of battle but if you really want them to slow it down and defend they have the personnel to do that Sabonis was great last night and then davion mitchell's defense just swings the entire games by the way the kings have another great defender who they barely use yet who might be an important factor later on in the series should an andrew wiggins get going or should a clay thompson get going his name is kessler edwards now i know that you know a lot of mainstream basketball fans these guys might be new to them. But again, Sacramento has De'Aaron Fox to give the ball to, DeMontis Sabonis to give the ball to. They can focus on the offense. Then if they really need defense, they have the personnel to make it happen. And I feel like this series, Sacramento is going to surprise a lot of people by how they just keep punching back, punching back. And Mike Brown, by the way, the ability to just maneuver and tinker with his bench and to not let it affect the team. Like Alex Len was not a part of the rotation a few weeks ago, right. uh, maybe a month ago. And now all of a sudden he's playing a big role. First quarter last night, he turns to Terrence Davis. Now Terrence Davis didn't play much, but what that does is it shows you that Mike Brown is not afraid to pull any string at any given time. And it seems like he pushes all the right buttons. The fact that he went with Davion Mitchell last night for 28 minutes, when Davion's been more of probably like a 20 minute guy, shows a lot of confidence in him. And all the players know that coach Mike Brown has all, all the confidence in the world in all of them, which is why I think the Kings are legit. Again, though, the only thing that scares me about this team is running out of gas because you see how much of a physical toll it takes to beat Golden State. Now, the next round, it gets no easier if you play the Lakers, and I feel like that's going to be, you know, a future plot line to watch for. Brandon, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just go really quick. I, I'm really just ecstatic about the Kings. I thought the Warriors would win last night. They didn't. Um, this is the first time I've kind of seen this team flustered and it just goes back to what we were saying that this isn't the same team as last year. They don't have the same defense they have the same personnel, but remember they don't have Otto Porter who was great for them last year, a wing off of the bench. They have Peyton and Wiggins, right? Wiggins is still getting acclimated, but who else? Where are all their wing defenders? Kuminga? You're going to put Kuminga as the stopper out there. I mean, he's young. He has the ability to be a good defender, but like, and he is at times. He's, he can play very good defense, but it's like, okay, you have Draymond, Gary Payton, and Wiggins. Those are your three defenders. Last year, what made this team so good and why they had the second-best defense in all of basketball is you added Otto Porter Jr. to that. And Otto Porter Jr., you can't take away his significance to that title team last year. Great defender, had timely shooting, 
And what that allowed to do is slow the game down for Steph and Clay on the offensive end. And Steph and Clay are still the same players. They're playing great basketball. But Mm -hmm. what they're now seeing with Sacramento, and I'm sure Tim can attest, is this is a team that wants to run and gun like Armand said and start pulling up shots just like them and kind of keeping them on edge the whole time. And that's something that... Golden State really wasn't accustomed to seeing. So this is the time to beat Golden State. Will they? I don't know. I expect Golden State to bounce back in a huge way, like Armand was saying. But this is going to be a very good series. Tim, your thoughts? I have to give Armand his flowers, right? He was the only one of the three of us, at least, when even when Grant was on the show, that to put Golden State up so highly. And we're kind of seeing the fruits of that labor. This is, in my opinion, the most high-quality basketball series that we've had so far in the first round. Both teams are playing at insane quality. It's just... Double high screens for the Kings. They shift defenders like it's no problem. You can understand why this is the number one offense. The two-man game with with Do- like Doma and Fox, like I don't even know how you stop that. And you have multiple looks. You got the the red rifler himself. Like there, there's just so many offensive looks with the Kings that, and, and then you you can't even account for Fox's blistering speed. Like, there's no defense for that, right? So they're just incredibly difficult to stop. And I like I'm glad that you put credit to Kings's defense as well because Golden State. They're no slouches either. Their offense is running on like absolute high quality as well. Their motor is insane. Steph is arguably the scariest player on planet Earth when he gets going. The off-ball movement, untouchable. He still makes shots that don't make any sense. They're still playing off their great high screen ball movement, and they're still hunting for mismatches like they do every single time whenever they're, they're having a playoff series. So I am so surprised, honestly, that Golden State played so well on the road. It's kind of scary how close every game was. It doesn't really bode well, in my opinion, for the Kings because Golden State, as we, as Brandon, you noted, incredible at home. So if they're already playing that well on the road, you know, how can you imagine that the Kings can keep holding serve, as Armand put so, so eloquently? It's just really difficult for me to really see that. But at the same time, I'm just kind of enjoying the basketball, right? Like these are two teams that are playing at, in my opinion, the best level of any team in the playoffs, which Kind of, kind of is unfortunate because they're playing each other in the first round. Like I think if they, you match them against like any other team really in the, in the playoffs, they would probably just absolutely smoke them. But they unfortunately are facing each other, and they're just almost like mirror images of each other. So I'm just enjoying the basketball at the, at the moment. I think and both teams are playing incredible. The the talk before the series was the lack of playoff experience with the Kings as well as their lack of defense. Right, but. When you have a guy that's so composed, that is so good in the clutch, like De'Aaron Fox, who cares about lack of playoff experience? The guy is a stone-cold killer. You give him the ball in the last eight minutes, he's going to take you home. And then when they need him in the clutch, how about Harrison Barnes stepping up, getting the basket, Mm -hmm. hitting, I think, two big shots late in the game? That championship experience is paying dividends. There, It was some moments where I was like, okay, Kevin Herter looks a little bit rattled. Sabonis in game one looked a little bit rattled. You know, Keegan Murray, I think the moment is a little bit too big. big, A little bit too big, yeah. But now he's going to get more and more acclimated into this series. They have another level that they can reach still, but obviously Golden State is Golden State. I think that the fact that DiVincenzo, who is such a key player for them this whole year, plays 12 minutes because, of you know, they need some defense on the court. And Kuminga was a big player. He played four minutes so they really turned to Gary Payton the second who played great. Great. But Golden State is kind of just throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks because they can't stop De'Aaron Fox. And I, I just I don't see how that changes from now to the end of the series. So I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. 
I do want to give a quick yeah. shout to, to Kivon Looney, though. Like, absolutely yeah. masterclass defensively against Doma game one. And even though Doma played well game two, I mean, Looney has been playing incredible ball, man. Looney is one of the more underrated players in the league. We should mention the story of the game, too. The Draymond incident with Oh, Thomas. my God, that guy, bro. I, I just, Draymond's going to get suspended, no? I don't think well, so. I guess we'll see. But I just, I, I want to say that, like, you know, there's there's going to be so much of a narrative surrounding this. I'm going to go the other way. I love the entertainment value that Draymond <laughs> Green brings. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I'm a neutral. I, I, you know, I have money on Sacramento, but I really like to be entertained watching these games. And yeah. I promise you, I feel like when Draymond is gone, <laughs> we're going to miss some of the crazy stuff that he does. It, it was just nuts. And then he's going to the fans. The first time I think that I honestly thought we could have another malice at the palace situation. Don't remind me, please do not remind it, me. <laughs> I mean, didn't it feel like that with him, you know, yelling obscenities at the fans in the front. And then all of a sudden the MVP of the night, was the stadium ushers because as Draymond's walking towards the tunnel, I was like, oh my God, they're going to start throwing popcorn and all, you know, sorts of stuff at him. But they were all lined up right there ready to prevent that. So shout out to them. But Draymond, man, what the heck? And Sabonis for grabbing his leg too, I guess. I mean, both parties I thought were were pretty um, in the wrong there. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Definitely an Indalekin Sue moment right there. I'm not even sure why you just <laughs> stomp on somebody. Unbelievable. Yeah, but either way, I actually agree with, with Armand. I really love the entertainment value Draymond brings. Was it right what he did? No. But, like, just him, like, just it's like Dylan Brooks, man. It's like Dylan Brooks is good for basketball. You can say what you want about him. Like, his talking, and I know he wasn't talking after that game one loss, but if they find, if the Grizzlies win this game, too, you're going to see here so much from Dylan Brooks. Like, or it's just, and that's good. Villains are good for the NBA. So I, I'm with you there. Um, I wanted to talk. Yeah, go ahead, Tim. Anything to add? Oh, that was Armand. I, but I, I was going to say, you probably transitioned oh. to the next topic, anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Armand, what, what, what were you saying? I was just going to say, do you guys think that Draymond is wearing on the Warriors, or do you think they still... Because I, I look at it in the postgame, Clay's kind of defending Draymond. I still think that they they like and respect him, but, I mean, what do you guys think about that? I think they, I think they match their energies. I mean, like, you know, obviously Clay and, and Steph are not as outspoken or as energetic, so they kind of just let draymond do all the energetic stuff for them but i think they kind of match each other's like because they have a mentality to win right they obviously have a high quality and standard that they kind of uphold so as long as draymond's still there and he is right defensively he is still there so as long as that's happening i think they have no problems and then what i will add is i do think they stand up for draymond i think they've always been on his side and i think jordan Jordan Poole is playing terrible. It's such a bad con, <laughs> bad contract. And I think now the Warriors are like, what the heck did we do? This guy is really, I mean, he's been inconsistent in the past, but he was way more consistent last year, in my opinion, especially in the playoffs. And this year, it's like a completely different player. He's lackadaisical. He didn't play defense to begin with. He takes wild shots. He turns the ball over. I mean, he's virtually almost unplayable at certain times in the game, right? And like for me, that's like you're giving 150 million or whatever to a guy like that. I mean, that's going to be that, that. That's what we have to start talking about. What can they retain Draymond? Can they? Is how long can they contend for a title? Well, I think now it has some huge implications since they're giving Jordan Poole so much money. I think it's going to be much harder now. 
because I mean, unless they trade him, but who's going to want his contract when he signs that extension? Right. So for me, it's like, what's the deal, uh, Tim? It's like, he's getting paid. Was it five years for 150 mil? It's like more than, I think it might be 170, but I do think it's because he's been playing off the bench. I think for him, like his ego is a little bit more like I'm a starter, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. And he's great when Steph doesn't play, but Steph is still their franchise guy. And if he's healthy, you know, Jordan Poole has to lead the bench unit. That's just how it goes. You cannot win basketball games starting like to, starting off with no defense. Like I could think you kind of need GP out there. So uh, Armand, would you agree? Like this pool contract's going to just bode awful for them in this last few seconds. Yeah. And honestly, it was, it was kind of strange to see, you know, how poorly he was playing yesterday. And then it just felt like, uh, I don't know. On the bench, his his body language screamed like, not supportive. I don't know, not not even not yeah, not supportive, but also like kind of like not mature enough for the moment almost. Where it's sure. like, dude, there's a lot going on. You're kind of laughing, giggling, smiling. I don't know. We'll get into it in seg two. <laughs> yeah. So when we come back, we'll be joined by us again. No, no guests. Um, we'll be talking more Clippers, more Lakers, all that. Stuff. We're going to get into the Lakers, too, because I know they don't play till tomorrow. But an important series to note, some Eastern Conference stuff and some Angels. When we come back on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio, 98.5 The Bed in Las Vegas, and the Y Sports Radio Network, AM 760. Also some Kings, by the way. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big. We go all night. And here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. 98.5 The Bed in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network AM 760. Joined by Armani Buckets and Tim Lee still. I'm Brandon Deutsch. Man, let's get into some Lakers. Let's get right into it. In segue, we talked about the Clippers. We talked about, you know, the Kings Warriors series. I wanted to know your guys' thoughts unbiasedly of the Lakers because I've been pretty fair. I actually picked the Grizzlies in this series, and obviously I would not still pick the Grizzlies. But I was skeptical of how the Lakers would come out in the series after watching them play against Minnesota watching them uh, in the final few games coasting against, you know, B teams like the Utah Jazz's B team, the Suns B team, barely winning those games. And then, you know, we saw a little bit of those inconsistencies in game one against Memphis, but it got better. They, they dominated in the, at the end of the fourth quarter. And it was, it wasn't because of LeBron and AD. And I think that is pretty, pretty significant for the Lakers in this series. What do you guys expect to see in game two? Either of you guys can start. Yeah, I, I think that um, the news about John Morant today uh, via Sham Sharania was very telling. The fact that he said it's going to be a pain tolerance thing going forward, that indicates to me that we are going to see Morant in, in game two, that we are going to see him basically able to 
play his full course of minutes now how effective he will be especially with his shot with his floater with it affecting his hand and fingers I don't know but just his energy being on the court the Grizzlies are a very very prideful team and sometimes that's to their detriment sometimes that's to their benefit I feel like they are not going to allow themselves to go down to nothing. And more importantly, if they go down to nothing, I think, you know, the majority of people, including myself, feel like that it's going to be a sweep at that point, considering that they're 15 and 23 on the road. I don't think they're going to allow themselves to get swept. Maybe they lose in six, five. But the fact that I feel like Morant is going to play, I think they tie it up tomorrow and then they go to L.A. where they're not a good road team. And we'll see if they can maybe get back to Memphis 2-2. But I think it's going to be 1-1 tomorrow. Yeah, I think we're seeing the fingerprints of uh, Jared Vanderbilt this whole series. He's he's, he's kind of everywhere, right? He's he's guarding guards. He's guarding Bain. He shut him down. Uh, He was on Morant for brief periods of time. He's on JJJ, obviously. I think I was surprised by the level of physicality that the Lakers presented to the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think that was what surprised them the most was that they just weren't accustomed to having people just body them up and prevent them from getting to their spots. So I anticipated the Grizzlies bench unit to be very scary. I mean, Tyus Jones is like one of the best, if not, I, I think it's disrespectful to come up one of the best backup guards. He's, he could be any starting guard on pretty much any team in the NBA. He's just incredibly good. So I was expecting them to be a little bit washed on that, but then Rui, like Rui Hachimura absolutely shut me up. Austin Reeves, even though he was starting, played absolutely lights out. So it doesn't really matter for the Lakers who contributes because sometimes it just matters who contributes. If it's Dennis Schroeder, sometimes it could be Malik Beasley if he comes through. Rui showed that he had obviously like game-changing statistics. Reeves obviously showed that he's here to stay. So I don't know. I, I've, I've changed my tune maybe multiple times about this too. I obviously thought Grizzlies were going to be the favorites and they may very well still be the favorites because at home they are really strong, but I, the Lakers first game, uh, I, I think they shut a lot of people up. Yeah. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think that was an impressive win. I actually do think they're going to win this game too. the Lakers. Um, maybe that's crazy to say. I just think they have momentum. I think LeBron's going to play much better. You know, he had his feel out game. Uh, LeBron teams usually lose when he has that game and they won. So I think LeBron's going to be much sharper. I think they kind of know what they're going to get now from from Jaron and from Bain, who are basically the primary scorers with Morant. As long as they do a good job shutting down Santi, you know, Kennard only getting two threes, they're going to be fine. I mean, obviously that place is going to be rocking. They're going to, uh, the Grizzlies are going to want to prove something. The Lakers got to be still sh- very sharp. But if they can get performances like that from everyone around and a better performances from LeBron and Davis offensively, I think they have a real shot to go up 2-0 going back to L.A. But they already did their job. Even if they lose that game, they're still in an excellent position. Right. So uh, I'm very, very, very happy for that team. Looking forward to seeing what they can accomplish this season. All right, Tim. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge hockey guy, but I do want to bring up the Kings win over the Oilers last night. A comeback win. The Oilers were kind of stomping them. Uh, remember, the Oilers have the best player in the world, Connor McDavid. They have a couple other great players. They have Leon, a couple other guys. That Look, they were the top scoring offense in, in all of hockey. And the Kings came back on the road, forced overtime and won. A lot of people are saying this is similar to the 2012 Kings. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even think like the, the Kings are actually really good on the road for the whole season, right? And, and Edmonton's not exactly like dominant at home. So honestly, it was kind of a pick em in that sense. 
I think the Kings are playing at momentum level hockey, right? I mean, like that's how it is with NHL. Usually the team that has not just the best roster, but usually the team that has the greatest kind of momentum, a la March Madness, does really well. And the Kings, they kind of have that energy where you, you just feel like you can always count them out. But at the same time, when you look at them up and down the roster, they've done incredible this whole year. So I don't I don't think you can ever count them out, right? I mean, they've been one of the top teams in the entire sport. So I think this is not exactly, you know, I, I think I think they could have, uh, they could easily just flame out, but they could also easily just win out the rest of the series. Uh, not too much of a surprise. I thought it was a pick em for first game. Armand, thoughts? My thoughts are that um, I need to start watching more playoff hockey because it's a very, very good game. And, you know, the fact that it was the first day um, I'm going to give myself a little bit of cut, cut myself some slack because, you know, there's plenty of time to get acclimated, but I am rooting for the Kings. I do hop on the Kings bandwagon, especially now that uh, our beloved Chicago Blackhawks are, you know, <laughs> kind of a laughing stock at this point, but yeah. I'm rooting for the Kings. And um, Tim, would you say that the Kings are now, you know, the favorites in the series or how do you kind I of think, do that? I think, I think the Kings are the favorites in the series. Yeah. Okay. I know the Oilers, okay. I know the Oilers for a lot of people were the favorites to win the whole thing, but I mean, I don't know. Momentum is well, key. And let me ask you this then, because of McDavid teams, he's the best player in hockey. Sure. They've choked. They've choked. Um, you know, the past couple of years, is, is he going to start having this LeBron narrative? Is, is that going to happen in hockey where he didn't win his first like six, seven years of dominance? And it's like, well, now you lose in the first round. What are we going to, what are we talking about here? What's wrong with the team? That's some, a narrative that's going to start happening to him. Cause McDavid is probably the most dominant hockey player we've seen in years, maybe Ovechkin, but like, I mean, you could argue McDavid's been better than Ovechkin pound for pound throughout to start their careers. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I I was definitely more of a avid watcher when it was like the Crosby versus Ovechkin kind of days. But McDavid, obviously, in terms of like individual skill, kind of trumps both of them. Uh, it's difficult, obviously. We're saying Ovechkin, who's obviously a Hall of Famer, and and then obviously Sydney as well. But if you don't win, right after a certain point, uh, it does probably get to you at the same time. But I think it's a little bit different in in hockey in general because one player, although as talented as McDavid is kind of is difficult to kind of dictate the entire game i know he's he was a leader in points uh he, he clearly creates as many shots as humanly possible and i think his underrated talent is how good he is at finding that like that open assist right so not really that i'm not really concerned that he, he won't bounce back i believe he will it's just whether or not as a, as a complete team i believe the kings are a little bit better yeah, well, they also played defense, right? I mean, that, that, that's the defense. That's that's the difference. Edmonton's like kind of known for their offense, lackadaisical defense, which is why they weren't leaps and bounds better than every other team in the NHL. If they had a good defense, they'd be the Boston Bruins this year, right? I mean, they'd 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 have the most points by far. Wouldn't mm -hmm. even be close if they had even a remotely good defense. So I like the Kings. I think they're a very tight knit roster. It's kind of crazy that they traded quick at the deadline and all of a sudden right. then they then they started their run. Um, again, I'm not a huge hockey guy, but excited about the Kings. And in fact I grew up a Ducks fan, unfortunately. I also grew up uh, a Ducks fan. Yeah, which which sucks. Which sucks. I mean, if I was a Clippers fan too, I was saying, "Oh my God, I thank God I'm not. Thank God I'm a Lakers fan because Angels, 
Ducks, Clippers would be a. Is that is that you, Tim? That would be a. No, no, that's not my roster. I I switched to being the Pacers. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I switched to being a Sharks fan. Okay, respect. Well, yeah. still not great, but not I mean, great. No, <laughs> sure. definitely not respect. I don't think respect is the right word. <laughs> I right, no respect. Uh, but I mean, by the way, the Ducks. What botching first round picks year after year after year. I mean, yeah. I remember. I don't even know much about hockey, and I remember watching the NHL draft where they had the third overall pick, and the 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 guys were like, "Who the heck is this guy?" They picked at three. There was like <laughs> somebody so much better. Like that's always what's going on with the Ducks, unfortunately. All right, let's go into the other Anaheim team because we just brought up the Ducks who are not in the playoffs. But let's talk about the Angels, a a year where they kind of need to make the playoffs. They started off decent. Um, They blew a couple of games because of their pitching against the Blue Jays, games they should have won. I mean, they lost the game 12 to 11. You score 11 runs, you should win a freaking baseball game, right? But uh, (laughs) not the case with them. You never know. The other team's never out of it with the Angels relief pitching. They're now 500 going into this big series against the Yankees. Luckily, they avoided Cole, but the Yankees avoided Otani, who pitched yesterday. And even though he only threw 30 pitches because of the rain delay, he won't pitch for another four or five days at the very least. He'll still hit, though. What are your What are your initial thoughts on this Angels team? Because I've seen flashes of dominance them with the lineup and with the starters the first three per- particularly with with mm-hmm. otani sandoval and detmers but then it's like the relief pitching terrible haven't really seen anybody uh elite besides maybe matt moore by the way revitalization of his career like revitalizing it matt moore has been great for them um but tyler anderson terrible paid him off a career year he's been awful jose suarez is pitching today you can probably lock in a Yankees win today. I mean, Suarez is one of the worst pitchers in baseball. No offense. He's still young. What are your initial thoughts here, Tim? Optimism, right? Uh, you hit it the nail on the head, though. I mean, we're legitimately dealing with arguably the worst bullpen in the history of mankind. I just don't even know what you're supposed to do with these arms, man. Like, you have the human glitch. Her gets pretty good. But then after that, what do you do? Aaron Liu has not turned out to be good. I'm glad you brought up Matt Moore because he has obviously been, in my opinion, incredibly enough i never imagined saying this in 2023 probably the the most safest arm that they have in the bullpen i don't even know what we're trying out or what they're trying out for their closer because there's like 16 arms that they're trying out and i know they're trying to use carlos estevez but estevez has like i don't know can you call it good stuff he has a good changeup, but he throws his change up 80 of the time at a certain point it's just gonna get blasted so the starting roster is good, but that's always been the Angels' MO, right? Like, the starting pitching finally has been a little bit decent, and the offense is humming, right? The offense is top five, top six, however you want to, like, adequate it. So, if we want to go with the immediate, Angels have always played the Yankees really well in their history. I'm not that concerned about how they're going to do in Yankee Stadium. They've always played up to the competition, especially with the Yankees. So, I, I do expect a competitive series. I am obviously discouraged by the fact that they keep having these Jekyll and Hyde moments where obviously the record reflects it. They just do really, really well against good teams like Seattle. And then all of a sudden they just drop the ball against Boston, of which when they came in against Boston, Boston had no momentum and had honestly like our, one of their worst offensive series coming in. And then all of a sudden they just pick it up and the Angels completely lose their momentum. And now they're eight and eight. So I don't know. It's difficult. I, I really do hope that the season kind of gets a little bit more positive momentum because if it continues like this, I don't think I'll be living very long uh, for this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they need to make the playoffs, right? Otani's gone if if they do not make the playoffs. And right. he might be gone either way. 
but at least you can try to convince him to stay if you have make the playoffs and have some sort of run. I think this team's fully capable of that. I just think they need a a, a pen arm, like a relief relief arm at the deadline. They probably also need another starter at the deadline. Although, by the way, Griffin Canning looked pretty good in his pretty first good. start. Yeah. So, I mean, I would kick Suarez out. I don't even know why he started. And by the way, Tucker Davidson's actually looked pretty good all of a sudden. He was terrible last year. So I, that's always a positive. Again, though, Tyler Anderson, the dude just doesn't know how to stop giving up home runs. It seems like every, every you know, he'll look good for three innings and then he'll give up two home runs or, you know, he'll walk guys. You can't be walking guys throwing 86. I'm sorry. I, I'm right. sorry. That's just that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like maybe if you threw 100, you could throw, uh, you know, you could walk a couple guys if you've got strikeout stuff, but he doesn't. So he can't be walking guys. He's had a walking problem. Thoughts on Phil Nevin because I've noticed – and look, no disrespect to Phil Nevin. I never thought he should have been the manager. Uh, I still don't think he should be the manager. But, you know, I, the Red Sox series. They, he pulls Sandoval after a couple walks, 3.2 mm -hmm. innings. No one can really touch Sandoval. He's only given up two hits at that time, three mm -hmm. hits. Uh, and he, you know, and then they blow the game. He puts in, I, I think it was Her Herget, uh at that time. And, you know, Herget's been good in the past, bad this year. Right. But, those decisions are losing him games. Like he'll put in Matt Moore for an inning, he cruises, and then he'll put in Ryan Tapera, Aaron Loop, two, the two worst relievers in baseball. <laughs> like he keeps relying on those guys, and it's yep. like I don't care how much you're paying them. Do not play those guys. Tapera and Loop are only good when you're up ten runs or down ten runs. Sure. You don't put them in in a big game. But those are the decisions I question. Phil Nevin, like Sandoval, only had about seventy pitches, sixty-five pitches, and he pulls them. I, I don't get that. I mean, Sandoval is one of your best pitchers, right? Like, to me, that makes no sense. That screams a lot of these games could have, are decided by Phil Nevin's incompetence. I, in micromanaging, yeah. Micromanaging, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, for no, sure. I, I, I agree 100%. He just keeps pulling these weird cards where because they were obligated to play certain players due to their budget or because they've done it in the past, that's what's keeping him from allowing this team to not just maintain leads, but to stay competitive within a certain amount of time, right? I mean, you mentioned it right on the head. Sandoval was pitching incredibly well. And I've always been a big believer in Sandoval. I mean, like, they're pitching for starting pitching uh, outside of Tyler Anderson being the exception, which is a testament, I, I guess, to the Dodgers pitching staff and coaching staff because Tyler Anderson has only one good season so far with the Dodgers. But everything else, I mean, they're, they're starting pitching is solid. I mean, they have a, a good four... To maybe even five, depending on how good Griffin turns out to be, starting staff. But then after that, it's 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 can they pitch eight innings? Because at this point, I have no trust in anybody. And uh, maybe it's not the manager's fault, but at the same time, it has to be considered when you keep putting a guy out there who will give up four to five runs when you're the bullpen and you're only pitching one inning per game. So uh, at a certain point, maybe the finger has to be pointed. I think you you brought it correctly. He keeps bringing in the same two guys, and finally, thank God. One of them is hurt, and I don't want to like say that that's a good thing <laughs> that they're hurt because it's you never want to wish ill on anybody. But it, something was clearly not right with with Tapera. But like, just play Hurricane, play the matchups. Uh, like Quijada's good. Moore has been really yeah, really good. has been playing well. Right, and that's then weird. Every, yeah, every time Wands plays, he's doing really well. Like, just play the matchups. Yeah, I agree. And play play who's hot. Right. I mean, I think bringing up Neto at this point is kind of signifying like, look, we need to get to the playoffs. Like, For sure. Yeah, they're, they're, they're taking no chances by bringing up Neto. I mean, Fletcher, you know, he had a great start to his career. He's unplayable. So, I mean, they had to bring up Neto. Rengifo's good, but he's hit or miss. He doesn't walk much. So, 
you know, they needed depth. So I like that. Armand, what are your thoughts on the Angels? I mean, we need to all go to a game soon. My thoughts are uh, actually, I wanted to pose a question to you guys. Are this okay. is is the Texas Rangers thing legit right now? Or yes, legit. Okay. I'll, answer yeah, that, I'll answer that straight away. Legit. They're a good team. They're a good team. Last so, year's uh, record, last year record, not indicative. They were a 500 team or better. Are they yeah, uh, uh, the favorites in the West? No, no, it's Houston. no, it's still Houston. <laughs> Unfortunately, Houston. it's still Houston. Houston has like three MVPs in their lineup, dude. Yeah, it's like it's kind of crazy. Like Kyle Tucker could win the MVP. Jordan Alvarez could win the MVP. Jose Abreu could win the MVP. Bregman maybe Pena at some point. Like their lineup's ridiculous. And then Framber and and Javier, two of the most underrated pitchers in in, in baseball. Now they have Hunter Brown, who's like going to win AL Rookie of the who's Year. Who's basically so. Justin Verlander. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Houston's gonna Yeah. What about this early season Diamondbacks push? They're first in the NL West. Uh that's the indicative of the rule changes. They have so much speed in their lineup, and because stolen bases are up eighty percent, it makes sense for the D backs who have always been an incredibly fast team, either top to bottom has has, has been a winning team. And by yeah. the way, Ho- Jose Rojas finally getting some flowers. I mean, that guy's been a stud for two two years. Agreed. Now. I mean, 100%. I mean, that guy's great. He's one of the best left-handed hitters right now in baseball, especially in the National League. And he's got speed. He's just a glue guy. He's going to hit like 280 to 290. He's going to get you like 130 hits if he's healthy. And he's going to steal some bags. But Corbin Carroll done well. I mean, the Diamondbacks are going to be a wagon in a few years when yeah, Andrew yeah. Jones, when Jones Jr. is able to come up, when Lawler is able to come up. I mean, Lawler's legit too, and they're they're going to bring him up next year, the year after. I mean, and Zach Gallen's a sty candidate every year. I mean, like they they got a good team. And by the way, let's bring up the Dodgers because I know Arash likes the Dodgers. You know, Grant yeah, a little bit, loves a little the bit. Dodgers. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and, you know, Arash was – he never expected this team to win 100 games. Uh, we kind of all knew this was not – this was the worst, the weakest Dodger team in the last 10 years. Uh, but it's like – now we're kind of seeing it. Like, the Cubs smack them. Like, like last year's team, the year before team, they, they, they weren't getting smacked by the Cubs. Like, no offense. The Cubs have been playing good baseball. But this Dodgers team, they lack a lot. I mean, Tim, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't even, I don't think they'll win the division. I think San Diego is going to win the division. I mean, there's a serious argument. They finished third in the division. Yeah, I saw in power rankings that the Dodgers were still like in the top five for a lot of people's power rankings. And I thought that was incredibly weird because it's like they didn't add anything that made them better. Obviously, you're you're anticipating Miguel Vargas to take a step forward. But do you really think that Max Muncy is still that 35 home run hitter that batted 265, 270 and on base percentage over 400? I just can't imagine it. I mean, you added David Peralta, who hasn't been good in 10 years. And the only guy you're, that you're really legitimately intimidated by, besides Mookie Betts and Freeman, is Will Smith. So outside of those exactly. guys, what are, we, what are we scared of? I know J.D. Martinez is a professional hitter, but like he hasn't been yeah. good since he was a Diamondback. Yeah, I'm with you, Tim. But anyways, we'll leave it there. Dodgers not looking good. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. This is Brandon Deutsch on the Arash Markazi Show saying stay safe, stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.